Welcome to Alindal's Choice, a place where we explore the art of living your best life and the challenges we face along the way. A journey is seen through the experiences of a husband, dad, coach, techie, entrepreneur, and athlete. I'm your host, Tim Alindal. How's everyone's week? You know, this is a common question we ask one another. Hey, how's your day? How's your week going? Kind of a habit. It kind of occurred to me the other day, is, should I be asking this question? Because it's primarily a judgment question. It's a question begging for opinions of things outside of one's control. It kind of implies that there's some unit of time that's doing something to you. And how are you dealing with those externals? <laughs> if I were to ask, how are you doing? That's kind of a judgment question. I'm asking for opinions about your current state. How about the weather? Again, a judgment question. Maybe we should ask, how is your character? That seems kind of weird. I think you'd get weird looks if you <laughs> asked somebody, hey, how's your character? Kind of outside the norm of acceptable questions. Maybe we could ask questions about what they do. Instead of asking how, maybe we can ask what. Hey, what'd you do the last week? This would allow us to Focus on what's in our control and kind of not requesting opinions on things that are outside of our control. Again, that'd be kind of an awkward question, especially someone you didn't know. Hey, how are you doing? What are you working on this week? <laughs> I don't think that would go over very well when uh, dealing with random people. It's probably some topic I should probably think about some more. It's like, what would be a good intro question that doesn't involve judgment or does it even matter <laughs> it's probably the bigger question it's, it seems like an esoteric question that's just begging not to be not need an answer <laughs> it's kind of the random stuff i think about in life when you go from day to day <laughs> oh well, let me tell you about my last week then I, i'm going to start with a moment of fatherly pride over the weekend my son's basketball game my son had a really good moment. One of the things I've noticed about youth basketball now is it's become a three-point game. Teams just are trying to shoot threes. I guess it's because, one, the kids can make them, and two, I think it's easier to create those shots as defenses tend to want to defend more of the paint and not give up the easy basket. I, didn't, I remember being at one of the first practices for my son, and the coach was like, well, we're going to sit in a 2-3 zone, and we're going to let them shoot threes. <laughs> then we faced a few teams that could hit the threes, and now the coach is like, we got to get out on them. we got to get out on the three-point shooters. <laughs> this last weekend, we had another team with a, a good three-point shooter. And there was this moment in the game where my son read the game perfectly. The ball was on the right side of the court. It was swinging back to the left. He knew he had to get out on the three-point shooter. He saw the movement of the ball, and he started moving before the ball got to the shooter. He was able to get there. He was able to jump up, tip the shot. No good. We won the ball back. A little bit later, another kid on the team didn't read the play, but when the ball got out there, he hustled to get out there, but he was late and fouled the shooter. I, this is why I think three-point shooting is such a big thing. Is If you're just reacting to the gameplay, you can't get out there and cover it. But what made me so excited, what made me so proud for my son, was his ability to be able to read the play, see it coming in advance, 
and make the defensive play when it was necessary. This is an advanced skill that really can't easily be taught. I mean, I've been teaching or coaching youth athletics for a little while now, and the feel for the game is something that kids develop on their own and on it, but it's very difficult to teach. What else did I do this last week? Let's look at my goals. Weight, been struggling to lose some weight. I'm down to 163.8. Finally, some progress. Hallelujah. Of course, I probably would attribute that to being able to get outside and bike. I'm able to burn a few more calories each week than what I've been done previously. But I've also been trying to check what I'm eating. and It's good to see some progress. I've got a long way to go. But now we're at least walking in the right direction. The second goal I've set for myself was being able to keep a clean desk, keep a clean bedroom. Both of those check. Well, I'm now two plus weeks into the progress, the challenge, and I'm able to keep things clean. That's probably the longest these surfaces have been clean in the last 30 years. On the front of daily planning, you know, I'm reminded of the meatloaf song, don't be sad, but six out of seven ain't bad. Of course, I can't sing, so I, I apologize. But I'm, <laughs> we had a week where we got six out of the seven. Again, it was the weekend that did me did me wrong. Saturdays, I, it's really hard for me on a day that's as unstructured as the weekend, especially Saturday, to spend time in the evening to, to prep for the next day. So I'm stuck with... Six out of seven ain't bad. I get, the song is really two out of three ain't bad. But hey, we'll adjust for <laughs> for today. Oh, One of the things I wanted to talk about today was the teaching of ethics past and present. I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about Stoicism and the ethical side of the Stoic philosophy and how it can help you to live a free-flowing life. Eudaimonia, as they called it. Now I want to kind of look at the philosophy of teaching ethics like this and how it developed into, from the past into the present day. Well, I've always liked history as a subject. There are valuable lessons that can be learned from the, our history, not only ancient historical times, but just in a, as our day-to-day living. There's a history there we can learn from our own experiences. I'm also fascinated by how many random encounters and random chance events dramatically change the historic, the flow of history in time. <laughs> That's the other part of history that makes it a really interesting subject. And today I kind of want to talk about the history of ethics. And I wanted to kind of start with the history of Stoicism, since that's the main philosophy that I ascribe to as a, a day-to-day living. It was founded by Zeno, who was a wealthy merchant, and on one of his journeys of trade, he became shipwrecked and ended up in Athens. While he was in Athens, he ended up in a bookshop reading Xenophon's memorabilia. He was very struck by the messages of the philosophers of the day, and he asked the shop owner, you know, how do I find these philosophers? How can I find someone like a Socrates? Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. I always come up with Socrates. That comes from the movie uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> they round up the great historical people in time, and Socrates, they call him Socrates. 
<laughs> that movie was, had some really funny moments. It was pretty dumb, but it had some funny moments. By chance, speaking of chance in history, Crates of Thebes, who was one of the most, was probably the most famous cynic philosopher at the time, was walking by the shop, and the shop owner's like, hey, look, Crates of Thebes, he's one of them. And this started Zeno down a new life's path. He began following Crates of Thebes and become, became a cynic. But cynicism really wasn't for him. So he began studying some of the other philosophers and began to develop his own ideas on philosophies. And so he began teaching his philosophy at the colonnade at the Stoa Poikil in Athens, doorsteps, so to speak, of this facility. And it is here that Zenoism was created. They quickly renamed it to Stoicism after the fact that it was taught on the Stoa, mostly to avoid the appearance of this philosophy being a cult. It's named after a person, we're all following a person, it has kind of a cult feel to it. But this was something greater than that, and they, they quickly changed the name to something that could be seen as more than just one person. Which kind of begs the question, is like we have these philosophers, how did they make a living back then? We've heard of Socrates, we've heard of Plato, we've heard of Zeno in this case, but how did they make money? How did they live? How were they able to teach their philosophies in that time? There were a couple ways that philosophers made a living. One, they begged or they lived very poor existences without money, living off the scraps of society. That wasn't very common. Another would be to have a wealthy Patreon. I mean, that's like something I need. You know, <laughs> to push out this show, I could use money, so maybe I need a wealthy Patreon. <laughs> or the more common route was to teach the kids of wealthy for money. I could teach them how to live, how to be better people, and therefore they would become better leaders in their home and community. The Stoic School of Philosophy taught three subjects. One was logic. Logic was a big topic of early philosophy and is still used in today. Logic shows up in modern philosophy, but it also shows up in computer science, computer the need for logic and making logical inferences is a huge part of software development. It's a huge part of the development of artificial intelligence as well. And Stoicism added to the logical, the concepts behind logic that day. They added the idea of propositional logic. Propositional logic is best understood in an example. If I were to say, it is cloudy when it's raining, which wouldn't be a huge stretch of the imagination. It's generally cloudy when it's raining. <laughs> it would be fair for me to make the assumption that if it is raining, if I see it is raining out my window, but I can't see the clouds, I can assume that it is cloudy that day. That's what propositional logic is. The School of Philosophy also taught physics. Most of this stuff is no longer applicable as it's been replaced by advancements in science. And lastly, what we see today, what we see in modern philosophy is ethics. Kind of being the best version of ourselves, the cardinal virtues of wisdom, courage, discipline, justice. 
if we can just live according to our virtues and being the best we can be, that's all we need to reach the good life. And if that's all we need, then we need to focus on what we can control and not worry about the things that are outside of our control. As such, we are responsible for our own happiness because we can control our internals and we can avoid and ignore or not be troubled by things that are outside of our control. As I was saying, we have these schools of philosophy with the goal of teaching the rich kids to be better leaders of their home and community. But realistically, these classes were open to all. It was fairly democratic learning back then. But these schools continued to teach from Zeno to the next generation of Stoic philosophers. And it actually culminated with the teaching of a young Marcus Aurelius, who became one of the five good emperors of Rome, who ruled from 161 to 180, and who was very much an ardent, ardent Stoic. But along this time, the rise of Christianity began, and it brought an end to the teachings of the Stoic philosophy. They, they, the, the Christians believed that Stoicism was a pagan philosophy, and such Stoicism fell out of favor, and the schools slowly faded to be replaced by Christianity. And as someone who spent 12 years in a parochial school system, I'm struck by the similarities of the ethics in Stoicism and Christianity. When we look at the virtues that you're supposed to live in Stoic philosophy, they tie very much with the golden rules of Christianity do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, that was very much the justice of treating others fairly, being compassionate, contributing positively to the world itself. Religion taught about the acceptance of God's will, very much similar to the acceptance of Stoics of the fate and what can happen to you. It's God's will. We're not to question God's will. We are just to accept what happens and try to be good people regardless of what God's plan is. And the Stoics would have called this fate. In religion, you're taught that if you're good and you live a good life, then you'll go to heaven. And that's our most important goal in life. Well, this is very similar to the Stoics. You know, we need to control what we can control, and we can control being a good person and we can strive to be the best person we can be, we can fulfill our purpose in life, much like religion, we're trying to fill our purpose that God laid out for us. We are responsible for our end game, whether living a free-flowing life that Stoics or reaching heaven, which Christianity taught. As such, the powerful Stoic message, or at least the important elements of Stoicism, found its way into Christianity and was part of Christianity's core message. As schools began to form, religion was a major part of the education system. From those Roman days up until the Renaissance, religion was the primary thing taught in all the major European universities. It was the primary thing that was taught to young students who could afford schooling at that time. The Renaissance brought about a period of scientific de development, art flourished, and the universities began to evolve beyond just teaching religious 
concepts. But even though religion took a diminished importance in education, it was still taught. As we move into the United States, it was continued there as well. The early school systems, the early universities, religion was a major part of the educational system. But US had, the U.S. had a very weird element in their formation of their government. There was the concept of separation of church and state. This was created not as a method to write religion out of the public life, it was done so that the various religious denominations could live without worry of being discriminated against. They didn't want religion out of life. They just wanted to be able to pursue their religion in peace. They didn't want a Church of England, or in this case, a Church of the United States. This became a problem that reached the forefront in the 60s in the United States, when those who did not follow religion took a more took a more pedantic view of this element in the constitution they wanted religion out of the school system they wanted it out of any public setting and since most of our school system today was taught publicly religion needed to be removed from that which was taught our children anyone see a problem with this for me, it's not the removal of religion. It's the removal of ethics. It's the removal of virtue. It's the removal of teaching people skills that would allow them a free-flowing life, as the Stoics would call it, eudaimonia. I think one of the big results of this seismic shift in our education can be seen today. We can, it becomes obvious to me if we start looking around that our ethics have replaced logic, virtue, with things like feelings, acceptance of others, and just stuff. You can see acceptance everywhere. People want to be part of a tribe. I mean, we see it in our politics, the tribalism of one party versus the other. There's really no rational reason anymore to the party system. It's just since my opponent believes X is good, I have to believe that X is bad. And that is where our politics is really trended in now. And you, you begin to see it with the kids. They, they are only looking for acceptance among their peers. We look out and we see social media and we see stuff. You know, Having a great car, having this great life is going to make me happy. Having these things that are outside of my control are going to make me happy. We see feelings be a big chunk of what's important in our culture. Man, does that feel good? If it feels good, then it must be something that's good. By having these things that are outside of our control being the focus of our lives, we're just left twisted in the wind. Our happiness is dependent upon what fate provides us. We've lost our ability to understand purpose in life. The Stoics believe that what separates us from animals is our ability to use logic, our ability to use reason. This was the cardinal virtue of wisdom. But we've left wisdom for a more animalistic approach to life. The tribalism, the importance of social media. I mean, look at social media. It's toxic as all can be. It's people searching for acceptance in one form or another. 
people craving things that are outside of their control. We see crime rising. We see a generation searching for meaning. We have a large swath of people who are living without using reason, without using logic. They're filling their animalistic base desires without any rational thought. And as such, we see peds searching, searching for happiness, searching for things outside their control. They have no guidance. There's no teaching in our schools today. I mean, it, the schools are failing us by not teaching these ethical concepts. We have a whole generation searching outside themselves for solutions. When these things, with meaning, purpose, they can't be found outside ourselves. They're only be found inside us. But we've abandoned those principles. We've abandoned those concepts as unimportant, not worthy of being taught. So what's the solution? Bring back religious teachings? Oh, that, that ship has sailed. I, the court system and such, that would never be allowable. There's too many legal problems. The opposition would be great. And, and I understand that that would happen. But what about a compromise? What if we brought back philosophical teachings like Stoicism? The ideas of eudaimonia, how to live with virtue, how to find real purpose. And I would think religions would be okay with this because they could build upon the foundations of like Stoic virtues and work with their flocks to incorporate the elements of religion into that. The non-religious could potentially be okay with it because it's not based upon any religion. And there are actually people dedicated to such proposals if you go out and search the interweb about bringing back philosophical teachings to the school. But I, I don't see that happening. I think today's culture is too toxic. Someone would oppose it because they're on the opposite side of the political fence from the person who proposed it. It would. I could see the arguments of like, well, this is just based upon dead white guys and it's racist and whatever arguments that would be developed to counter it. I, I just don't see it having any progress because we've become so tribal in our instincts. So as someone like myself who sees value in these teachings, what should I do? I'm trying to be a good Stoic. I, I start with the question, what can I control? I can't mandate what schools teach. In theory, I could influence it by becoming involved, ending up on a school board, and fighting that battle. But realistically, I, I don't have time for that. But what I could do, what I can control, is try to affect the people I come in contact with. My son, family, the kids I coach in soccer. Heck, the adults I coach at Master Swimming, the adults I coach in triathlon. I could teach Stoicism not as a philosophy, as a course, but as a practical way to live. I could encourage people to visualize, especially my kids, the best version of themselves. Those I coach, hey, visualize the best version of yourself. How can we close the gap between where we are and where we want to be? I could start with the sport, but it becomes very obvious that if I'm doing this in sport, I can do this as a person as well. I can teach how to control what you can control. It's one of my favorite coach phrases anyway. Hey, let's give our best. Let's do what we can. Let's be the best version of ourselves. And we can live with the results because that's all we can control. When my son or athletes face adversity, I can ask the same question I asked a minute ago. What do I control? 
Okay, a bad call happened in soccer. What can I control? Can I get mad about the call? Will that change the call? Can I change history? I can't change what happened, but I can change what happens going forward. I, instead of, I can accept the call for what it was. I can avoid judgment on that call and be like, okay, there's a free kick. How do I defend this free kick? How do I win the ball back? How do I stop them from scoring a goal? What's the next thing to work on? The process. And I can also look for opportunities to stress the value of the cardinal virtues. Wisdom. Hey, can we use reason? Can we use logic to understand the world around us, to make good decisions? Can we go out and seek knowledge? Can we learn from experience? Can we make good judgments based upon evidence and reason and not feelings, not our emotions? Courage. Can we face our challenges and difficulties we come across with resilience? Can we accept what we can't control? Discipline, self-control, living with balance, living within our means, avoiding excesses, but mostly self-control. Can we do the things that are necessary for us to become the best version of ourselves? That's where discipline is most needed. And then lastly, justice. This is a fairly common one, in, especially in a team sport. How do we treat others fairly? How do we treat others with respect? How do we have compassion for our fellow teammates, for our opponents? How do we contribute positively to the world? These are all things that are part of coaching. And especially since I deal with kids, young soccer players, I can pass these values along to them. And maybe they can take them and apply them in the bigger scope of their lives. That is something that's in my control and something I'd like to do going forward and something I'm going to be focusing on in my coaching as I move forward. If you've enjoyed this episode, five-star rating, please. It's helpful. It helps keeps this show going. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. doesn't matter where you're hearing this. Subscribe to get future content. And as always, have a great day if you want to. Remember, it's a choice.